Uh, grab your Bibles. We're going to dive right in for the sake of time. We're going to pick it up today in Proverbs 2, verse 10. We made it down through the end, but I want to go back and grab some things. So verse 10 is where we're going to work through down to chapter 3, verse 3. If you're joining us online, we're so excited that you're here. Um, a couple of people that are uh, hospitalized. If you're watching, um, drop a comment. Glad you're watching and praying for you. Verse 10, if you're there, say amen. amen. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. To deliver you from the way of the evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths, to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth, who forgets the covenant of her God, for her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you may walk in the way of goodness and keep the paths of righteousness, for the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace will it add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them upon the tables of your heart and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart, lean not onto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. For it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Father, thank you so much, Lord, as we gather around your word, Lord, as if it was as, as exciting as a campfire, Lord, as, as, as amazing as the best prepared meal of a grandmother. Lord, let us feast upon it this morning, Lord, and let it do all that it, it just said it would in, inside of us, Lord God. And I pray that you would remove all things that hinder, everything that would distract us right now from our minds and that you would remove even the distractions from this room, Lord, right now, that you would silence everything that's not of you, that we may hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, verse 10 is where we dive back in. Uh, and as we get ready to go into this, we're going to begin to see a lot of things. And a lot of it's so sweet um, in the sense of there's these little uh, the Proverbs, I like them, there's these little punches, if you will, little jabs of truth. It also gives us the benefit of uh, laying hold of those things and believing those things, which is really wonderful. These contrasts, these things that we can remember and grow from. In fact, many people have promises in chapter three that are life verses for them that they always remember. How many of you have memorized part of Proverbs chapter three? Yeah. And there's some beautiful things in there that we can live by. All of these things, actually, we can live by. And so it's going to speak so much wisdom to us if we grab hold of it and let it have its work on the inside of us. We would see growth and uh, lives transformed. Um, 
And so we're going to look at all of these contrasts as we go through. And right off the bat, we begin to see intimacy in the relationship that is with God and his word and with the wisdom that we obtain from him. Right in verse 10 where it says, when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, we begin to see the personalization of this relationship, if you will. Now, entering the heart, the words there in verse 10, when, when wisdom enters your heart, is a very interesting, in a sense, Hebrew word. Um, because we keep seeing heart even down in chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, let your heart keep my commandments. Chapter 3, verse 3, where it says, write them on the tables of your heart. And we keep seeing that pop up. And it's a beautiful thing for us to consider because Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 actually says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. The heart, the very depth of our being, the soul, the place where our conscience is, the place where things are driven, um, our desires are formed and shaped, and, and all of these things. And, and the Bible, the book of Proverbs is saying we need to guard that. The inner being, who you are, needs to be guarded. Your mind wants to wonder, and it's a place where battles take place in your mind for what happens in your heart. And, and, and the, the, uh, the, 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 the writer of the Proverbs is telling us that God wants you, if you will, to surrender to him. The fear of the Lord remembers the beginning of the wisdom that you may grow and be able to uh, keep this thing on focus, if you will. And so it says here, when it enters your heart, when wisdom enters your heart, the Hebrew word there for enters is a word that actually uh, implies not just something that just kind of haphazardly happens or even something that happens naturally in a process. For instance, if you walk out in the sun and spend some time out there, you would naturally soak up vitamin D. How many of you knew that? Okay, so get outside sometime. Um, but it's not really talking about it. It actually means to, uh, to come in or be brought in. Uh, first used in Genesis, Genesis 2.19, when God brought the animals to Adam to see what he would name them. Or when he brought the woman to Adam after he had made Eve, he brought her to Adam. Or when Cain and Abel later, when they brought their gifts to worship before God, it implies a bringing. But also on the other side, the other implication of the definition of this is to uh, attain or carry uh, or gather. So it kind of speaks of both sides of this thing. So we must receive it and apply it. It speaks of the fact that God brings wisdom to us and we must lay hold of it when he does because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when we turn to him, he wants to give us wisdom that we may know how to live this life that he's called us to live. So when that happens, when that takes place for the person who draws near to God, for the person who reverences him and begins to have an intimate relationship with him, he brings them wisdom and knowledge and understanding that's not of them. And I've always prayed that for people because God has done that for me, that he would give you uh, wisdom that is beyond your years and capability. God can do that. Now, when it becomes, notice, pleasant even to your soul, it becomes something not only desirable but pleasant to you. Because once you begin to, to grab hold of the word of God and it begins to take residence in you, like David says, it's, it's, it's better than food, more refreshing than water. It's, it's, it's something that feeds you and nourishes you and you get excited about it. How many of you get excited for the word of God? You could just feast upon the word. The word is just, it's such a good thing for you. But notice when that happens, verse 11 says, discretion will preserve you and understanding will keep you. Why? Because you've now gained those things 
from turning to the Lord. Now, discretion, the, uh, the um, Hebrew here implies uh, first your purpose, direction, and devices. In other words, purpose, direction, and devices, or the way you conduct yourself or live with the wisdom that God has given you. And it teaches you, kind of the definition of, of uh, discretion, it teaches you to conduct yourself in such a way that it would not cause offense. Remember, we talked about this before, or leak private information. In other words, you learn to live with God in a certain way that the wisdom that he gives you creates this discretion in you, the way you carry yourself in a way to where you're very balanced. Um, and it's, it's interesting in the sense that you become, if you will, uh, wise in how you share information about what God is even doing in your life. We're going to find that the fool loves to just open his mouth and everything falls out. <laughs> I didn't call you a fool, remember? I'm just saying. Some people open their mouth and everything in their mind and their heart spills out on the ground. They can't control it. They don't know how to contain it. It's like a little bitty viper snake when it's a baby. If you get bit by a baby copperhead, you're in trouble because he's not mature enough to control his venom glands. So everything he has gets pumped into you. Whereas a uh, older mature copperhead is going to hit you with enough to, to make you get away and back up in case he has to hit you again because he knows he's got to eat later. He wants to keep some of that stuff, you know, because he takes time to develop it. He's wiser, you know, this discretion. And it's how we learn as we walk with the Lord how to use the wisdom and the word that he's actually given us. It's kind of like, you know, in fellowship amongst believers, you know, look, there's 500 people running through this building on a, on a Sunday morning, as I told you earlier. I, you can't share your heart with all 500 of them and be effective. You know, but there might be five to ten who really care for you and y'all have relationship and you know they're going to pray where you can. Right. Does that make sense? Uh, so even amongst ourselves, we're using discretion. But it says discretion that will keep you um, and, and, and it's going to preserve you is what it says here. In other words, it's going to protect you. It's going to keep you. And that's what we're learning. To preserve, it means to guard, to protect. It teaches us also how to refrain from certain things and abstain, keeping yourself from things that can be dangerous, which we're going to see in a moment. In fact, it keeps you from wickedness. Let's look at it in verse 12. To deliver you, and I love that word deliver. It implies in the Old Testament prophets that God is going to deliver you from danger. He's going to deliver you from the snare of your enemy. New Testament, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says that the Lord Jesus will come from heaven and deliver you from the wrath which is to come. That's kind of a, a rapture verse. You know, maybe you wrote it down. Go look at it later. It's a deliverance from that which is evil. But it's speaking of, look, listen, your walk on this earth right now. This wisdom that God is going to give you, which you're going to learn how to use, is going to create discretion in you, which is giving you a way to live so that it will literally rescue you, deliver you from the way of evil. Because there is a way of evil in the world today. The world is actually getting worse. Um, Christians who understand the scripture, we know it's not going to get better. There is no we are the world. We are the people. We're going to make it and all this stuff. You know, I don't even remember the words. None of that. That's all a lie. It's going down. It's actually going to hell in a handbasket, and we get delivered at some point. That's where it's all headed, y'all. Now, notice this from the man who speaks perverse things. Now, this is not just a, a, a dude with a foul mouth. You know, we know people with a foul mouth. You know, um, the, the closer you draw close to the Lord, um, maybe you used to curse like a sailor. 
but you get close to the Lord, now it's offensive to you. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like you use all those same words, but now you don't want to hear them anymore because you're walking with the Lord. You don't want, it's kind of abrasive. But that's not what it's talking about here. It's not talking about somebody who uses foul language. It's talking about someone who speaks evil in the sense of who agrees with and even promotes those things which don't line up with God and his truth. For those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. And there are ways of darkness right now more than you would ever believe. Notice who rejoice in doing evil and the light and the notice the perversity of the wicked whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths. All of these things speaks of this, this way that the world has right now, which is growing stronger. And, you know, over the last 50 years in our country, we have watched it spiral out of control. And now we've allowed it to get to the point that as believers, even your very disagreement with it is going to invoke in this world that we live in persecution. And we've seen it happen over the last year in ways we never thought would happen, locking up pastors for opening up the church and, and uh, persecuting, you know, finding churches big money where you got people down the street doing wicked things that you're not bothering. You know, whether it's uh, adult entertainment or the sale of drugs and all of that kind of stuff, it's just there's a way of wickedness that's per, uh, permeating throughout our society and it's getting rough now you know, you've seen in the news in just the last week, men going into women's locker rooms where they're girls just because they identified themselves as a woman. Y'all seen that, that foolishness on, on the news? Yeah. Um, men running, dressing up like women, running for pageants, beauty pageants. Now, I don't know how, how they won, but I mean, you can do stuff with makeup. I guess that's amazing. That's a scary thing, though. That's a scary thing. Man. When we was in sin in the B.C. days, at least things were, for the most part, what they seemed. I'm thankful I got saved before we get to 2021 because it's a scary place out there now. People are doing all kinds of things. Um, now, I think it was the, 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 the Miss Nevada is a man. Is that right? Come on. I don't even know. That, that doesn't even make sense. Miss Nevada is a man, I believe, who's going to run for Miss USA. I, that's what I heard. But with the way our world goes, we'll probably win. <laughs> um, you know, and, and that's, that's the way America's going now. We'll have a Miss Mr. Or, or Mr. Miss USA probably because of the LGBTQ and the plus means for every other abomination they can think of, they want to cover all their bases. They take the, the rainbow, which represents God's promise for deliverance, and they're using it as an abomination to mock him, you know? And so now our embassies and everything has been, been lit up with that stuff. And I guess I'll get back to that in a moment. And so you got all of this stuff going on and there are these wicked ways, y'all. And, and it's permeating. But he says that he wants to deliver us from that stuff. God wants you to deliver you from that thought process and from going down that path. That's what he desires to do. But you got to hold on because we, it's easy for us to agree, but I want to get into some stuff in a minute. But, but before I can, we got to see him deliver us from immorality as well. Verse 16, remember we talked about this last week, to deliver you from the immoral woman. 
this immoral woman that we're going to see pop up several times in the book of Proverbs. Um, and I identified last week, and I want to make sure I keep this going for the ladies in the room, even more so the immoral man. OK, because they're both very, very prevalent um, and not just in the world. That's not really the focus, but it's in the church. In fact, this immoral, immoral woman, listen, this immoral woman that we're talking about here um, is actually a church woman. Well, let me, let me show you. Notice it says, from the seductress who flatters with her words. I'll come back to that. Um, who forsakes the companion of her youth and notice and forgets the covenant of her God. So she's a married woman who goes to church, the covenant of her God. And she's, 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 she appears then on the surface to be the, a good kind of woman in a sense. Or maybe it's a dude who goes to church, right? That's what he's getting at. In fact, glance to Proverbs chapter 7 for a moment. I'm going to give you a little bit more insight to what kind of person we're dealing with. Because it says in Proverbs 7, I'm going to pick it up in verse 5. It says that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. I'll come back to that in a moment. For at the window of my house, I looked through the lattice and saw among the simple, I perceive among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house in the twilight of the evening in the black of the dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot. She's not, but she's dressed like one and a crafty heart. She was uh, she was loud and rebellious. Maybe when I get to chapter 7, there's some stuff we can talk about there. Her feet would not stay at home, notice. Man. At times, she, or, or you can say his feet won't stay at home because you know, you know some dudes, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, I wasted time and, and money on the golf course and everything else in the early days, too. I mean, never, never, always going doing something. There's always something. You know, anyway, but I want to stay here. Um, Let's see, where was I at, y'all? Thank you. Um, at times, she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him with the uh, impudent face. She said to him, I have, notice this, I have peace offerings with me. Today, I have paid my vows. And I'll, I'll get into that in chapter 7, but peace offerings and vows are descriptions of the worship process. I've been to church. I've already been down to church. I put something in the box while I was there. I worshiped. Now, uh, now I'm going to lead you to your death because she's flattering with the words back over in chapter two. She's in the church. He's in the church flattering with words. And I want to be very clear as I go into this, because I really wrestled with this this morning, Lord, you want me to talk about this? And, 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 and you know, he kind of gets his way. Um, and I think his heart is we can overlook things as they're not as prevalent as they are. But the Lord is like with the with with the divorce rate um, equal to in the church, that of the world with people falling and more things happening. And I think we realize sometimes I think the Lord wants us to pause for a moment because this immoral woman who is a church going woman or a church going man. It says here is a seductress flatters with her words. Y'all catch that? Did y'all catch that? Flatters always have flattering things to say. And flattery is just always um, scary for me. But it can happen so subtle. 
I think the guys in the room who are in leadership already know this because we've talked about this quite a bit. But men, you're trying to serve the Lord. You're learning the word. You, you pray. These are simple things, right? You pray, you read your Bible, you serve. Those are very elementary things. But for a woman who has a husband that doesn't do any of those things, they're profound. And sometimes, unbeknownst to women who don't mean any harm, they may flatter by putting you on a pedestal. I wish my husband was more like you. Oh, that's dangerous. Those words are some of the most scariest men. They're the most scariest. It happened to me in the lobby one day. And, and this woman had built this pedestal, and I'm looking at it like, man, that's some shaky scaffolding you got going on there because I'm going to fall off real quick if you let my wife tell the story, you know, because she knows the real me. <laughs> I don't need to be up there. I'm running the other way because it's a very dangerous thing, very dangerous thing. One thing we, we've started in our uh, marriage ministry is that we never put to anybody, we never put our spouse down publicly, period. Okay, you know, but it's not the same. It could be a it could be a man looking at another woman in the church who seems to have it all together. Godly woman loves the word, loves to pray, um, you know, all these kind of things and and is an awesome uh, homemaker. It just seems to have everything together. Every time she brings something to the potluck, it looks nice. It's in the perfect dish. She just got it together. You're an awesome woman. I wish my wife, you know, yada, yada, yada. Whoa, ladies, run the other way. Don't even allow it because it's an opportunity for dangerous things to take place. Now, one of the things I want us to know and consider as we look at this, which is, I think, very healthy, and I think a lot of churches have missed it, um, and even the church that we came out of, of which um, that we, when we started this church, I don't think fully got uh, part of this either. And I think churches learned this along the way. But if we could learn this, we could really, really avoid the wickedness and the dangers of the enemy. In the Bible, in the New Testament, the, pro, the, the apostles are never, ever either, either doing or implying that the apostle should or any male leadership should disciple or even counsel a woman. In fact, turn with me over to Titus chapter 2 really quick. Or that a woman should counsel a man. And I'm going to come back to that point or disciple a man in just a moment. In Titus chapter 2, if you don't know how to find it, you can look on with the person beside you um, or just listen because I want us to get there quickly so that we can stay on task. Titus chapter 2 we're going to pick it up right in verse 1 where it says, But as for you, Paul the apostle, speaking to Titus, an elder who he left um, somewhere to, uh, in Crete to be a, a lead elder to develop the church there. He says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. He says, this is, this is proper. You should speak things that are proper for good teaching, good balance teaching to cause the church to grow. What does he say? Titus chapter 2, y'all there? Okay. He says in verse 2 that the older, everybody good? Okay. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in the faith, in love, in patience. I love that he's speaking to the older men. And it's very important that the older men um, in the church are this way. And I'm going to get back to this in a moment. In verse 3, that the older the older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, 
not giving them much wine, teachers of good things. I'm going to come back to this in a moment because this older does imply spiritual maturity, yes. But I really think it's getting also to those who are older in age. And this is what our society, American society, has kind of messed up on because I think nursing homes have did us in to some degree. Older in age is such a blessing when it comes to the church. It's not that a 30-year-old woman is not mature enough to do these things. She absolutely is, or a 30-year-old man. But, but look, 30-year-old women are still bringing up little children. They're still dealing with their husbands, trying to, you know, get it all together. And a 60-year-old woman, she's different. She has absolutely nothing to prove. She's already brought her children up in the Lord. She's already worked through all the challenges with her husband. I said brought her husband up in the first service by mistake. <laughs> but she's already been through all these difficulties. And now, listen, when an older woman speaks in the Lord or older man speaks in the Lord, they're speaking from a place of both exper- proven experience and authority. And they can say some things that are important. Like I use an older man named Joe that was in the first service. Joe's got this thing with me, he, his, and his son's a pastor, so he's, he's, he's speaking from experience. He says to me, you are a blessed man. Now, I said to the first service, now, this, is, this, is, this actually happens sometimes. Like, I could have just argued with my wife because we argue. All of us do marriages, right? We get into stuff. I could have just argued with my wife, and I'll run into Joe, and Joe will say, you're a blessed man. You got a lovely wife, wonderful kids. God has blessed you. By the time Joe finishes with me, I'm running back home to apologize to my wife. You know, because <laughs> I'm realizing, man, this guy is right. You know, they, these older people, they, they have something that they can give. And so they're very valuable. So he says this, and this is the way God desires the church to be. He says here that the older women likewise be this way. In verse 4, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the, the word of God may not be blasphemed. And this is the thing that we need to know. People, marriages falling apart. They call the church for marriage counseling. They ain't been to marriage fellowship, ain't been to home fellowship, ain't going to men's ministry, ain't going to women's ministry. Don't do those things. It's falling apart. No, you got to be where the people with the wisdom are speaking to you to help deal with these things. And the older women can speak to the, to the younger women. The older men can speak to the younger men. And God works through that process. You see, one of the things I found at churches where a woman is the pastor of the church is a lot of times what I find is um, I find it's just that, you know, like the men there are struggling with their Christian manhood and Christian male leadership. They don't, it's not modeled before them, and they, they're not getting it, and it's an issue. And, and honestly, what happens is you have a, a bunch of men who are, if you will, being mothered. And I don't mean that the wrong way, but a grown man don't need to be mothered. A grown man need to leave and cleave into his wife, okay? You don't need to, you don't, you know, your mother has her place. You love your mother, but she, she's not to mother you anymore. And so it's like when Deborah had to basically lead Barak, who was the leader of Israel, but he was a punk and wouldn't go to war unless she led him to war. That's where Deborah comes into this thing. Deborah had to do what the man would not do. And God has called call us to lead. And so when, the, when prayer broke out at the men's study yesterday, the heads of the homes went into an hour of prayer. And it wasn't a normal prayer. It was like, it was like, you know, there was no pausing. It was one, one voice with, uh, with bass in it after another. 
you know, and it just kept going. It was like men were praying. It was like, man, you didn't have to coerce. You wasn't begging. It just happened as the spirit moved. And I think that our church is going to reap the benefits of that, ladies, um, at some point. Amen, right? You know, we're going to reap the benefits of what God is doing in that way. But this is the way he's designed it to be. And so, therefore, it's God has called the, the uh, women to receive wisdom and instruction from the word, but counsel from the other, from the older women within the church and likewise the men. That's the way God has designed it to be. And so we need to understand there's a way God wants us to conduct ourselves. And it's good. Back over in Proverbs chapter 2. So this immoral woman flatters. She's a seductress. She flatters with her words. The immoral man, the same thing. Notice she forsook the companion of her youth. She's a married woman. That means she's been married for a while, the companion of one's youth. And forgets the covenant of her God. She is a woman who goes to church or he is a man who goes to church. But notice this. Her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. And those who go to her, excuse me, none who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. So when we stray after the strange woman or the strange man to forsake the companion of our youth, to walk away from the the, the wisdom of the Lord, we are headed towards death. We talked about this last week. And we need to turn back. The wisdom of the Lord is saying, no, turn from that. Refrain from that. Discretion uh, will, will keep you. Understanding will, will, will keep you. When this is pleasant to your soul, the wisdom of the Lord, the knowledge of the Lord, the word of the God, when it becomes pleasant to your soul, it pulls you away from all of those things. And notice what he says now uh, as we go on. Verse 19, none who go into her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. Notice this, so you may walk in the way of goodness. He's saying all of this is so you will walk, my children, in the way of goodness and keep the paths of righteousness for the upright will dwell in the land. And this is beautiful. The upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But notice, but the wicked will be cut off from the earth and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. There's a contrast now that he says that there's an outcome for the righteous and its blessings. But for the wicked who go that way, there's destruction. And this is throughout the scripture. Psalm chapter 1, verse 3 through 6 on the screen. He starts out talking about the person who loves the Lord and delights in his word. It says, he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Chaff, and I I talk about this often, is that husk that's on the grain that's good for nothing but going in the fire. And if you're if you're not from an agricultural land, now that we're all living here in Johnson County, you might as well get used to it. If you wait till about November when it smells like football season, you know, it's that Christmas in the air um, and 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 whatnot. And, And so. Uh, and it's deer season. If you, people, you see guys with orange hats during that time of the year, late November, and the soybean is brown. You go out into one of these soybean fields, it, it's all over the place, and grab a handful of it and, and just rub your hands together and blow. And the chaff is what blows away. 
And then the soybeans are left there in your hands. And that's the picture. It's like with the threshing of the wheat, the same concept. They would thresh and thresh and thresh, and the husk would come off the wheat, and then they would blow the husk because it's light. It's no substance. It blows into the fire, and the wheat grain is heavier, so it lands and stays, okay? That's how they separate it, all right? That makes sense? Okay. Yeah, it makes sense? Okay. So he says the ungodly are like that useless chaff that will burn up. Remember the book of Revelation? Jesus is coming back with a vengeance. He's bringing his wrath upon this world that has rejected him. This is the Sunday school uh, Jesus that, that we learned about growing up in, in mainstream denominations. But I'm telling you, he has eyes of flame of fire, and he is coming back to literally smoke what is left. But right now he's saving souls. And he will continue to do that because he desires that all men be saved. And so it says, for therefore the, God, the ungodly shall not stand in, in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 on the screen says, do, not, uh, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators or idolaters or adulterers or homosexuals or sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortionists will inherit the kingdom of God. This is a scary thing. But then notice what he says. And such were, this is the beauty, some of you, some of us, right? Such was some of us, right? That, that's a good thing to say. Yeah, we were, but not anymore. <laughs> God is good. He's done something. But you were washed. That means we've been cleansed, cleansed twice, once by the blood of Jesus and then daily by the word of God. But you were sanctified. That means that we have been deemed holy because of the blood of Christ in our lives. The blood uh, purifies according to the Old Testament picture. OK, but you were justified. That means deemed and pronounced holy by God. That means that God now says you are holy. You once was a part of that list we just read. But now God has done a work in you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, by the spirit of our God. And so we've been transformed. And that's the beauty of all of this, that God wants to literally transform us. And that's what he's doing. These are the things that's coming. And our world is wicked. Our country is wicked. Congress is wicked. The policies they put forth are wicked. And God is going to give them over to those things, according to the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 24 down. And you can go look at it in your own time because, uh, well, we got more time than we did in first service. But I want to I want to. I want to save it. So notice uh, as we move forward, chapter 3, verse 1. Y'all right? there? Yes. He says again, my son, he says, do not forsake my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. There it is, the heart again, because out of the heart flow the, the issues of life. He says, hold it dear. Lock it away because it's going to do something in you. Now, this is the thing that I got to pause and say. God's word has a more powerful effect on our lives than we can even measure. It's hard for us to sometimes see and fathom what just digesting his word regularly does to our mind and does to our life and the way we see things and, and what we even desire gets changed by him. You know, if you want to if you want to walk uh, a life that's good, spend time in his word. And he says, my son, keep it, keep it in your heart. Keep it dear to you. Because notice what he says next, y'all. He says, for length of days and long life and peace, they will add to you. Now, wait a minute. You mean to tell me if I keep God's law on my heart and mind, like meditating on it day and night. Listen, don't, don't fall asleep now. 
if I keep his commands in my heart, the things that he says, and, you know, as David says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Are y'all doing okay? There's a lot of shuffling around. Okay, I want to make sure. You can't miss this, okay? This is the time to pay attention. If you keep these things in your heart, the word of God just said, it has something to do with the length of days and the longevity of your life and a certain level of peace. How can that be, Pastor Kevin? Well, it can be because it even says over in verse 8, it will be health. Do you see this? Health to your flesh. He's not talking about just a spiritual benefit only. He says health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Well, how can this be? Look, all I know is it, even secular scientists are scratching their heads with metal, medical science now because they don't fully know how it all works together. In March 2011, uh, I'm sorry, March 11, 2020, the National Institute of Health and Welfare, and this is why a lot of people struggled last year, by the way, but it says that life expectancy is influenced not only by the traditional lifestyle-related risk factors, that's like do you drink, do you smoke, stuff like that, um, but also by factors related to a person's quality of life, such as heavy stress. And you go, the article talks all about the effects of stress, the effects of worry, the effects of fear in, in a person's life from a secular perspective. So a lot of people in this world in 2020 lost years on their life just because they were locked up in a house scared. Okay, and, and having anxiety. Another article says, listen, it talks about uh, the accumulating evidence that indicates that this that psychological stress has a negative effect on your DNA and influences the development of cancer within the body It's crazy. Um, it actually suggests uh, that emergent evidence suggests that DNA damage is increased by exposure to stress hormones and likewise things that promote healthy hormones in the body actually has a opposite effect on the repairing and the longevity of your DNA and I think that they're just basically scratching the surface of what the Bible had already said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom the beginning of knowledge and that if we keep it if we listen if it's good for our soul if the Bible is good for your soul and it's shaping the way you live in the Lord it literally will have an effect on the longevity of your life my grandfather was asked a question at his 91st birthday party about the longevity of life and he quoted Proverbs chapter 3 without flinching with a smile on his face what's this what's the secret reverend ed was it was his name don't call me that <laughs> he said trust in the lord with all your heart lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path lean not and he kept going too it was like you know but he's old nobody gonna stop me quote the whole chapter if he wants to <laughs> it, it has an uh, impact on on your life because it says, in peace, they will add to you. So the peace of God in your life preserves you, whereas fear has a negative effect. You think about it right now. Any one of us who's in the doctor's office, if the possibility of cancer rolls off his tongue, because of all that we've heard and seen in this world, there's a certain level of fear and anxiety that grips almost all of us. You think about that. 
And many of you have sat in those offices and in, in, in waiting in anticipation for what might be said. And that little thought that that could be a possibility has a negative effect on you. And God is saying, hey, Jesus says you can't change nothing by worrying in your life. So you need to give all of it to me and rest in me. This is what the Bible is calling us to. The Bible is saying it's like medicine to your soul, which affects your physical being. That's what scripture's saying. Isn't that wonderful? Because I can't do everything, but that's one thing I can do. I can, stay, I, can, I can stay close to him that he gives me a peace that passes all understanding. He fills me with the joy that is uh, inexplainable. It, it comes from him and it is preserving me to some degree. That's what the scripture is trying to tell us. And we need to learn to do that. Now, we got to continue because we're almost done. Now, verse 3 says, let mercy and truth, let not mercy, excuse me, and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. And this is another verse with a promise. The first promise up there was, you know, keep his commandments in your heart and it has an effect on your physical being. But now um, you get favor with God and man if you learn this. Hold on to mercy and truth. It's, a, 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 it's, it's a two sides to the same coin which brings balance in your life. Now here's the thing. What is mercy? Well, mercy, we understand, is not getting what you deserve. For instance, I deserve to go to hell. I'm a sinner. God's mercy is why I'm not going to go to hell, right? Because he sent his son to down the cross. So I, I don't get that, okay? And then on top of that, I get grace and the, the promise of the Holy Spirit and all these wonderful things, the word of God. But mercy is, is being merciful. The Bible says, blessed are the merciful in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. So in other words, as he's merciful, he desires for us to be mercy, for us to, merciful, for us to show mercy to other people, not to be so quick and hard to come down on people about everything in truth. Well, what is truth? Well, God's word is truth. Amen? Amen. Therefore, what this says is the end all be all. This is truth. Okay? And he's saying we need a balance of mercy and truth in our lives, and it will cause some things to happen. And so often we find ourselves compromising one or the other. In fact, um, even within the church, we have liberals who forsake truth for the sake of mercy. Well, we got to show love and, you know, you know, we got to, and they wrestle with these things, you know. You know, they, they compromise the truth for the sake of trying to be merciful. And then we have conservatives in the church who compromise mercy for the, stake, for the sake of, you know, staking their truth in the ground. Y'all know that too, right? And, and then we, we, we find a hard time trying to find the balance of this thing. And then we have parts of the church that's gone so extreme that they've completely forsaken truth and put rainbow flags outside the church to celebrate Pride Month. Outside churches. Churches are doing that because they, 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 they went too far to the mercy side and forsook the truth of things. Okay? And then you have others that go so far, so far to the truth they forsake the, the mercy Somebody asked me the other night, Pastor Kevin, what would you do? How do you feel when transgender and homosexuals come into the church? I say, I want them in here so they can hear the word of God. And look, it's always been that way. Y'all hear me say stuff and sometimes you wonder how I really feel about it. But this is how I feel about it. 
We did an outreach at the park a few years ago. I met a lesbian couple. I sat there and spoke with them for 20 minutes. And she says, well, will we really be welcome at your church? Because, you know, they go to other churches and get turned around. I said, you absolutely come, can come into our church. I said, I want to let you know, though, because I want to be honest with you so you won't be mad at me later. While you're there, I'm going to be teaching the Bible. And there are going to be some things that come out of the Bible that you won't like and you won't agree with. But I just want you to know you're welcome to come and sit in here and let the Lord minister to you. Because medicine don't taste good either. Okay? <clears throat> All right? That's what happens. I was saying some really difficult things last year. And right there where this guy with the striped shirt is saying, how you doing, sir? All right, not picking on you. Okay. Right where you're sitting, a lady named, and I hope she's watching today, Evangelia, beautiful name, lesbian, got saved, sitting right there. Because she found us online on YouTube and then drove to the church. Okay. Now, what I'm trying to say is, that these are the things that we care about. We care. We have mercy to, 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 so the word of God can go forth. But the truth part, we can't compromise the truth part. And see, this is what we got to understand. We can't go to, to one extreme or the other and then miss what God is actually trying to do. And see, this is the thing. You've got all this foolishness going on now in the world today. And, and you know, what, what, what do you do with all of that? You know, I don't care what you identify with, sir. You can't go in the women's locker room. That, you know, it's like, a, you can't do that. What will we do here? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. No, I'm going to be honest with you. Because we actually had a transgender that came regularly for a while. Um, and you, you look just like a man and you wouldn't have known the difference. Okay. Um, but because he looked just like a man, sounded like a man, even facial hair from all the hormones and stuff, the testosterone taken. I said, you've you got to go to the men's bathroom. You can't go in the women's bathroom looking like that. You got a little girl in there. That's confusing to this. This seven-year-old girl goes in to use the bathroom, and they do come in here or, you know, whatever. No, we ain't having that. Well, what if a woman, what if a man walked in who looked just like a woman in every way? You know, because makeup, like I said earlier, can do things. And came in looking just like a woman. But, but, but I know he's a man. I'm sorry. Um, I don't even know what term to use. I hope they know the person's name. You can't go into women's bathroom I'm sorry you know just because you've made yourself up a certain way you're not you're not welcome to go in there I don't really care what the governor said I don't care what nobody from the Bay Area who who's in office said you can't do that you know um, you, you're welcome to hear the word now but what are we going to do we got to figure that out we're going to dig a hole in the back they got to go somewhere and use the bathroom I just don't we ain't figured it all out yet but there's certain things that because look this is the church this is not the halls of Congress, Amen. and it's not the Capitol building, you know? All right. We have to figure this out, and I think we get so bent over things and offended about things that we can't be real a lot of times. So I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable because you're going to hear about it anyway from your friends that went to first service. So you got to hear my heart here about mercy and truth because it determines what your culture is, you know, in the sense of are you living according to the culture you grew up in or according to the culture you got born again into, which is given to you by, by the Bible. And most of the time, we don't want to let go of the old culture to really begin to live in the new one, okay? And uh, uh, this room, you know, I've been saying it all day long, we don't look nothing like the narrative that's being forced down everybody's throat in the world if you look around this room, none of that applies here. So one of the most difficult times for me as a Bible-believing African-American Christian 
was in 2008 when Barack Obama was running for president. This is an amazing time. Here you got for the first time the African-American community is like something that made that we never thought could even be possible in this country is actually happening. Are you are you serious? This is amazing. And it was the most bittersweet time for me because I couldn't vote for the guy because I couldn't compromise the truth for the mercy. He was immoral. He is immoral. And all of his policies were immoral. In fact, it's his policies that propel further than anything else the LGBT agenda. And this is why we got all this confusion now. So I couldn't vote for him in 8, 08 or 12. And that was a difficult thing. Now, here's what you, the, the white people in the room who, who, you know, who you just don't get it. You can't understand because I had a white pastor ask me, what, tell me, help me understand this thing. I, he was trying to figure out why African-American Christians was still supporting him. And I said, sir, you just don't understand that for the older generation in the African-American community, do you, know, do you know what they went through? For him to even be able to run, you can't understand that aspect of it. So for, for the, for the, there's a small segment of people in America called African-American Bible-believing Christians who had a difficult time when that man was running because you had to, you had to choose a culture of Christ over a culture of family and community that you came up in. And that's what, and look, that's what we're called to do. And that's what, look, that's why in China right now, Christians who their government's telling them they can't, and it's getting worse for them, by the way. You can't meet and worship. You're not even supposed to, they're not even supposed to have Bibles. They're actually trying to rewrite the Bible. They're doing everything to destroy Christianity in China. But the Bible-believing Christians in China still have to meet underground. Folks try to say, well, you got to abide by the law of the land. You can only do that in times where the law of the land is not coming in conflict with the biblical mandates that we already have. Amen. Because once it does, then the law of the land is, is then null and void in that sense. Okay? This is how we have to know and live and understand because if we're not willing to do that, if, in fact, if you're offended right now, it's because you're compromising either truth or mercy. Because I ain't here to offend nobody, and I want to be honest with you because that's what you should receive from me and from anybody in the pulpit. Because if somebody's going to stand up here and, and forsake one or the other just so maybe one of you won't leave our church. Man, people leave the church every year for things lighter than that. So I'm free. 2020 freed me because folks left over COVID, you know, scared, you know. And then, you know, so anyway, I'm trying to say this. We, because God is doing a new work at Calvary Chapel Clayton, and every last one of us in here need to understand that Christ comes first, period. Amen. Right? And, yeah. And when, when we realize that, then we have opportunity to really make an impact. But see, if Christians, if we don't know that, why would the world ever listen to anything we got to say anyway? We compromising all over the place stuff. You know what? That's what the church has done a lot of, compromising. We can't, we can't do that. We, we can't. That dude lit the, the, the White House up in the rainbow flag. Now you got, you got them flying the rainbow flags at the embassies and everything. You know, I, I don't agree with that. All right. Now, it's not I'm trying not to make it about a political person, but a lot of times we compromise based upon a person when it comes to politics more than based on policy. I do want to make that point. Policy should drive all of that stuff because God's truth should be leading us with, a, with enough flavor of mercy that we can still reach out to anyone. Every homosexual and transgender who wants to come through those doors and sit where you're sitting right now is absolutely welcome to do so. 
And see, here's what's going to blow them away. At least amongst the leadership and those who serve on a regular basis, what's really going to get them when they do, and this is what usually gets people, is that we're not moved by it. I'm talking to a lesbian. You're not, you're not like causing me any stress now. Okay, so what? You're lesbian. You're living together. You're, you're, you're enjoying sin. You know, we all have enjoyed sin. Sin is sin. So now you bring your sin, and then I'll tell you what Scripture says. And as the Word is going forth and the Holy Spirit is ministering, he's highlighting your sin. And as he draws you closer to him and his Word becomes sweet, your sin then begins to have a stench that you want to move away from. God can make people. He changes people. And so here we see that these things, because what? Here's the blessing, right? When we don't forsake truth or mercy, but we bind both of them around our necks, which means that we're balanced. You're not so much in the truth that you don't have mercy, and you're not so much trying to be merciful that you forsake truth. When you get that balance, and, and those things are written in your heart, he says you'll find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Now, that's a big issue because most of the time people uh, forsake the truth because they're trying to get favor from man. See, it's easy for me to try to get your favor by standing up here and not making myself vulnerable and not saying those things, right? right? So we got that. We understand that. And that's what people do a lot of times. But when you do that, you lose favor from man because man can see that you're fake. You don't stand for nothing. You, know, you don't stand for nothing. I remember um, John Kerry was running for president. Look, I, don't, I ain't studying Clinton, Bush, uh, Trump, Biden. Obama, none of them, okay? All right? I, I'm a Christ person, okay? But what I'm saying, I remember in particularly when John Kerry was running, and I saw him talk out of both sides of his mouth, trying to please everybody to, to get, and I was like, man, he don't stand for nothing. So you don't mean anything. So if the world sees you Christian and you can't even stand for nothing, you ain't going to get favor from the world. The world hates Christ and hates the church. So God is on your side because he loves you. But he doesn't want you compromising. So when you don't compromise, the Lord is with you. And then people begin to actually realize that there's a difference in your life that they really want to look into because you're willing to simply stand on truth, even when you're the only one at the office doing it. When you're the only person, whoever, wherever, doing that, the only person willing to stand up for truth, something about this person is different. And now I want to pay attention to what they have to say. That's how God begins to do it. You get favor with both, I was, um, oh, my wife was telling me a, a story. I know this guy. His name is Ray Dash, um, one of the Calvaries up in uh, Jersey. Yeah, so Ray was uh, evidently doing the COVID thing and all the stuff that was going on with the Black Lives Matter. Ray's an African-American pastor in the Calvary movement, by the way. But the gangs were protecting the church as the church was doing the outreach stuff they were doing because they had stood for truth without forsaken mercy, and they had loved the community through all these things. So it's like the gangs don't agree with him for what he's doing because he's speaking truth, which goes against selling drugs and stuff, right, and gang banging. But yet, because they're standing for it, they kind of have to say, hey, don't mess with them when they're on the street. You kind of get what I'm saying? They got favor with the gangs, and they got favor with God, so they're free to just do ministry. Why? Because they didn't compromise. You compromise, you make yourself look bad because the world can see right through it. Truth and mercy, balance is how we live our lives as Christians. And we're way over time because the clock, it just went off. You know, it's not even there anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, for allowing us to be here for your word, Lord God. And 
Lord, I pray that you would allow these things to settle in our hearts, Lord, where, where they belong. Um, Lord, that we would continue to love one another and, and that you would be in our midst, Lord. Um, that you would sort it out, molding us and shaping us into the people that you've called us to be for the times that we live in. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. Please pick up your children.